The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey friends, on the line with me right now is David Wheaton from the Christian Worldview. We are so honored to have David and this program on The Shepherd. David, welcome back to my program. Mike, it's good to be with you on The Shepherd Network, and uh, thank you for having me on today. You know, I know that uh, you were affected, as all of us were, with the loss of uh, someone that is a mutual friend to both of us, Gary Meeks, when he passed away suddenly. Uh, I know that has just sent ripples throughout many Christian radio stations and ministries alike across the country. I know that uh, you knew him and were as uh, equally shocked as we were at that passing. Yes, it's very sad. We feel particularly sorry for his wife and family, just such a sudden departure to go to be with the Lord. Of course, as believers, we know to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have great hope and joy in that. But those of us left behind, like his family and those of us who were friends who knew him for many years, uh, just knew what a steady and godly and loyal person he was. Mm-hmm. Diligent person he was. I mean, this he, he was just really a, a wonderful man. And uh, it was a shock, and I, I'm not sure why we're shocked all the time when, when someone passes away, um, because we know that nothing's guaranteed. The Bible says our life is like a vapor, but it is still shocking uh, because we have these close friendships, and uh, Gary meant a lot to a lot of people, and so we miss him terribly, and uh, we need to pray for his family. I agree completely. I talked with Gary almost every week. And so, yeah, it is a tough one. Uh, and with, with having lost Dan Celia earlier, uh, you're really right when you say life is a vapor and we have to live our lives with that in mind. It, it would not be wise to not do so. Our time, and that could be any of us, and we trust the Lord with all of that. And I know that's what you're doing. Uh, David, I, our time today is limited. We don't have an entire program with you here today because of your schedule, not being able to uh, kind of hang with us quite that long, but I'm so grateful that we have you for the time we do. And with that being said, your show has been cooking lately. I mean, it's not like we don't have anything to talk about from a Christian <laughs> worldview perspective, right? No, you're absolutely right. People often tell me that they, they come up to me and say, well, there's, there's no shortage, shortage of topics for uh, to discuss on the Christian worldview. And I'm sure you're sensing the same thing, Mike. Yeah, and, and it's true. I I think I, I sense that we're living in a a transformative time in history right now, where um, things changed when, when COVID came around uh, a couple of years ago. You know, whether it was all orchestrated or or whatever, it's certainly been taken advantage of at, at minimum uh, to really consolidate uh, authoritarian control in so many different elements. You know, just through mandates and and you know, lockdowns and church shutdowns and and you know data collection and surveillance i mean it, it really is it, it truly is like you're we're living in kind of the precursor to when the book of revelation and all it talks about in the future is, is going to kind of kick off 
And you can just see those things falling into place where there's going to be this kind of global governance in the world, you know, led by the Antichrist. And you know, there's going to be a mass delusion of people following this Antichrist and a false prophet, a religious leader who aids the, this beast, this Antichrist. And, and it doesn't take very much squinting, Mike, to sort of see that's where things are going. Um, and, and so we live in an exciting time, a time that we have to be really intent on proclaiming uh, the good news about Jesus Christ, because I, I don't, uh, apart from a, a supernatural started revival that, that God institutes, and that's very possible, it's happened at many times in history, if things continue the same direction they're going right now, I, 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 I'm not going to give a time frame, whether it's two years, 10 years, 50 years. But um, it is not hard to see how things are are kind of morphing or, or transitioning in uh, to that end time scenario that we read in Revelation. And, you know, not only have we read that in Revelation, but I grew up and I bet yeah, that you've heard your fair share as well. I grew up hearing Sunday night messages on end times eschatology and the Antichrist and all of these things. I mean, it. It, it seemed like a bad dream back then. I remember as a young boy hearing it. Now, what I remember them saying is very plausible. Not only is it plausible uh, to happen at all, but it's very plausible to think about it happening in the next couple of years with this thing of a mark of the beast and the way that uh, a technology has changed and the things that they're already talking about, inserting uh, things like uh, circuits inside, you know, one's right. body, uh, putting that kind of a mark in, in, in a wrist or a forehead. I, I, honest to goodness, Dave, I, I, it's like you're seeing the fulfillment of things that were preached about, you know, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. You're you're exactly right. I mean, just take the the vaccine so-called passport. Yeah. Um, and many places around the world have already implemented this. It's on your phone. You have to show a QR code to go into a certain place. Well, that's basically that that is not the mark of the beast, of course. But it, it the the technology and it's a precursor to what that will be like. That you won't be able to travel or do this or buy or sell or do all these different things that Scripture talks about unless you have this mark of the beast. So, you know, that is a, it's almost like a conditioning going on that people, you know, I think generally people want to be able to live their lives and they want to be able to do what they previously did. And I think most people are just very willing to just tell me what I got to do to be able to do what I want to do. And that that's, I, I think people in the future in, in, we've seen revelation, the mark of the beast, people is just seeing what happened with the COVID passport and how, you know, you, you get the vaccine, so-called vaccine, or you're going to lose your job. You know, people will drop their convictions pretty quickly uh, in, in order to be able to earn a living. And you understand that. No one wants to lose a living. You can certainly understand that. But government knows this. And, and those in authority know this, how they can leverage people. Uh, they know people have some basic needs. If they're going to withhold those needs or those desires people want, they can they can get their authoritarian policies in place by you know a, a carrot and stick, and, and that's what it is. So again, it doesn't take very much squinting. Let me comment on what you said about the, the end times being a a fearful, frightful time. That is true, if you're not a follower of Jesus. That Christ. is right. That is right. You, you know because the end times, and I'll, just just to be full disclosure, I understand Scripture to teach 
a premillennial view of the end times, which means that there's going to be a, 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 I, I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe te- scripture teaches that in first Corinthians or first Thessalonians five um, and elsewhere uh, in scripture, even in the book of revelation, the church just disappears after revelation chapter three. Uh, so I think there's going to be a, a snatching up or a taking a rapture of the, of all the true believers from the church age. And then a seven year time of tribulation and then the literal return and reign of Christ on this earth. So, you know, and I know listeners today, people have different views of that. And I understand that. And I respect that people come to different conclusions, but I just want to be clear about what my understanding of scripture is. So people know where I'm coming from when I talk about the fact that I'm looking forward to the actual literal return and reign of Christ for a literal thousand years on the earth. Now, yes, there will be some really, really actually not just difficult, but the most challenging and torturous times on this earth. Uh, when Antichrist rules o- over this world. But the good news is that God offers us a way out. He offers us a way to be forgiven of our sins and being made right with him. So we don't even have to enter that tribulation period. And if, we, and if we do for some reason, that we can be spared judgment when we do by putting our trust, our faith in who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us on the cross and being saved, being reconciled and being born again so we can be right with God and ultimately avoid his judgment because as bad as things were going to get on the earth, it's far worse to fall under the judgment of God. And so for anyone listening today who, who has never come to saving faith, repent and believe in the gospel. That that's what Jesus said. One of the first things he said in ministry, confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved and you will not be disappointed. That is for sure. David, I could not agree more with that. The hope that we have as believers is really the only thing I think that's causing a lot of us to have any faith or pace of, uh, in our faith and our hearts and peace in our minds when we go to bed at nighttime, uh, if it weren't for the fact that we serve the Lord and that we shouldn't be surprised, just like we were talking about Gary uh, passing unexpectedly, we shouldn't be surprised that we look at all of the things that's going on in the world with the the evil that is there and with the things that were happening it's just difficult to see that it's happening to our country right now that so many people and one of the things that i think you mentioned earlier and you kind of touched on this is how fast people can respond if they are now being told that they're not going to get get a job or keep a job or they're not going to be able to eat if they don't do such and such. We saw that, didn't we, with the pandemic, how quickly Americans kind of just laid down, if you will, and went with the plan. And we thought it was going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. And instead, it was two years to flatten us. That's exactly what's happened, right? Yeah, you're right. And it it was really troubling to not only see how quickly people acquiesce uh, to having their individual liberties just given away. Uh, You know, I I, I hate to say it, but I I think a lot of people and it it is, I think, a tendency in all of us are willing to give up our individual liberties, the right to to speech or or to worship and, and, and other things. Uh, in exchange for the the, the promise, the, the false promise of safety and security. You know, we, we're going to keep you safe, we're going to keep you healthy and so forth, or we're going to keep you secure uh, and so forth. You don't have to worry about anything happening to you, but you need to trust us. 
and, and that's a very dangerous bargain to make um, because there's a strong authoritarian impulse among leadership in the world. Uh, that that's one of the I think the fundamental uh, the, you know, impulses of of mankind. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is to gain power and to exert influence and authority over people. And we you just have to look at history and see how that's done over and over again. It's even being done now. I mean, look at China. Look at right. other places around the world. Look at Russia and you know, Putin and other places. I mean, these. These, these places are, are, are led by very, very strong dictators. And the troubling thing is, Mike, you see it in not only, you know, those places, but you see it in Western nations now. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only in America. I mean, I think how many mandates we, we went through here in our country and, 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 the, and the allyship with the corporations to go right along with it. They're hand in hand with government implementing these policies, but just go outside the United States. To the one country, to our neighbor to the north, Canada, how authoritarian that country has become, or Australia or New Zealand. And these are Western English-speaking nations that have really gone into this very strong authoritarian leadership model. I think a lot of it is sourced out of some globalistic uh, organizations because that's where we know things are going to more of a global governance. Yes. So global governance means glo- global control. Um, that means uh, there's a there's a global structure of authority with a lesson by definition that be lessened nationalism, lessened individual liberties. And you see organizations like the United Nations, the, the World Economic Forum, people like Klaus Schwab. Listen to him talk or one of his his uh, key spokesmen, key allies, Yuval Noah Harari. Look up that name online and listen to him talk about what he envisions for the future. He's a very popular author, speaker, influencer, a New York Times bestseller. He's from Israel. He's a, he's an, he's a, I think he's an atheist, but he's also homosexual. Mm. Listen to him speak about, he's a futurist into, into what they are trying to do to this world. And uh, you'll, you'll figure out really quickly that uh, all that, uh, you know, glitters around us in this wonderful country we call America is not right because half of our population will support that globalistic type worldview that we see in Revelation that's coming. You know, we didn't hear the word global that much growing up when I heard these messages, but we did hear one world government. And that is functionally the same thing, isn't it? I mean, this whole thing that uh, the president is leading us down, I mean, I think we dodged a big bullet at the World Health Organization just recently when it wasn't because of America standing up for its people but uh, it, the agenda uh, from President Biden's standpoint was to sell us over as a country and give up our sovereignty with regards to health and those kinds of uh, limitations that can be put on the people. But it was the other countries, about 50 other smaller countries, they all stood up and said, no, we're not going to do that. And thank God they did because we dodged a real bullet there. It is this global fascination that seems to be alive and well in the current administration. Well, it really is in the heart of man, Mike. It's it's I like to call it back to Babel or back to Babel, back to the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. You know, God told the people back then, you know, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so what are the people in, who made the city and Tower of Babel? They didn't do that. They disobeyed God. They went to make their own city and a tower that would reach 
to heaven to make a name for themselves. And if you read that passage, they keep on saying, let it, let us, let us, let us. It's all about us. It's man-centered, not God-centered. And so ultimately, I think in the hearts of unregenerate man is this globalistic ideology or worldview that believes that we can create a great world with, and not be under the authority or accountability to God. And that back-to-babel worldview hasn't gone away. And so man today still thinks that we can create a world as one. There will be peace and security and happiness and, and, and flourishing if we can just control it. If, if the elite among us, the most educated, the most intelligent, if they order the world the way it needs to be ordered, well, there can just be utopia, nirvana here on earth. And they really believe this. And so there's no other explanation for why our president and why this administration and why the left in our country, and frankly, <laughs> some of the Republican Party as well, absolutely, uh, yeah. do, do, do things like, why would you want to go from energy independence to energy dependence? Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to really have unfettered illegal immigration into your country? Why would you spend trillions and trillions and print trillions and trillions of dollars to put ourselves further in, in, dread, in debt and devalue our currency? Why would you, as you were just mentioning, why would you want to outsource uh, authority of our own response to future health pandemics to a global organization like the World Health Organization? Why would you turn over authority, you know, for uh, for combating so-called, you know, man-caused climate change to foreign entities and, and enter into trees? Like the only reason you want to do any of those things, and there's many more, is that you 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 don't care about being an individual entity of a country. You want to move towards a globalistic um, governance structure for the world. Oh, and yeah, it, it, there's just countless examples of this happening. And God doesn't intend for that. God is a nationalist, and that even that word nationalist has been re reimagined to be sound to be a to be a racist idea. Right. But God, in in the beginning, sent up each intended for each nation's the separation of powers. That's what nationalism is, rather than the consolidation of nations, and that leads to a few fallen human beings con controlling mass numbers of people, and that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. And on that one, we're going to have to close because I know you've got to go. And David, I, I so enjoy getting to talk with you, your perspectives on biblical worldview and how we should respond as Christians. It's so helpful. And it really does break it down in a way that I think we can all see it and feel that uh, the common sense, if you will, that's coming through your voice today. I just wish that our, our leaders were listening to you and hope Maybe they will. <laughs> Who knows? God bless you, David, and thank you for being with me here in this segment. God bless you too, Mike. Thank you for having me on. And as, as bad as the world's getting, we have a much greater hope in that we serve the king of the universe who wins in the end. So let's be encouraged. That's right. Thank you, David. We'll be right back with Leah Patterson. Back again for segment two here on the line with me from First Liberty, an attorney named Leah Patterson. First time on my program. Welcome, Leah. Thank you. It's good to be with you. It's good to have you here. And it's it's um, always an enjoyable thing uh, that I've uh, learned a lot about First Liberty and 
you, along with other great firms across the country, are really holding the line for American freedoms, things that I think we're learning now that maybe at one point in time, Americans took our liberty for granted. I don't believe we're living in a day where we can do that anymore, right? Certainly not. And the work that we do at First Liberty demonstrates that every day. I think you're right. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that we have such a, a freedom left to where there are inroads that can be made. There are groups that are willing, and uh, First Liberty is one of those, willing to stand up against the tide of progressive lefts, uh, the lefty movement that's going on and is, um, is seen in just about every area of American life right now in ways that uh, this country higher inflation rates for 40 years. Uh, We've just not seen this, but added to that, and that's really what we're going to be talking about today, would be the what feels like uh, a discrimination against anyone holding a Christian worldview, and in particular, the school systems that were affected, and this big uh, Supreme Court case that came out on Tuesday from the state of Maine it's going to have a, a generalized sweeping effect. And uh, for the administration, it has to be seen as a grounding defeat for the Biden administration. So uh, kind of fill us in on, on uh, from your standpoint, what all this ruling on Tuesday from the Supreme Court, how does that affect everybody around? Well, I'll start with some background on on what this case dealt with. So In Maine, a lot of school districts are too small to maintain public high schools. So for the students and families who live in those districts, the state will pay tuition up to a certain amount for those families to to send their children to the public or private school of the family's choice, as long as the school's not religious, at least until Tuesday. The Supreme Court struck down that restriction as unconstitutional. Mm Mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you know, it's funny that you would say, and and not that you would say, it's funny that people say the state would pay when functionally the state has no income apart from its citizenship, those that are living in it. And yet we live in a time to where government is almost like its own machine, its own animal. And they are telling, they have been up until Tuesday, they've been telling people that we'll take funds that you've paid us and we'll kind of uh, help out these schools that are helping fill a gap that you're saying the public schools can't do unless they're religious. But yet if they were associated with just about any other uh, group, they could be atheists, right? I mean, they could be just about anything else uh, but but Christian, is that right? Would you agree with that? Well, what the the specific statute used the word non-sectarians, and and the evidence that built up during the case demonstrated that the tuition funding went to so many different sorts of schools, all girls schools, all boys schools, schools in different states, schools in different countries but they couldn't go to religious schools. Mm-hmm. And now they can. So the Supreme Court. So in doing that, when you have a situation like this, where this is a case that came out of the state of Maine, but it has a spillover effect on all the other states, right? 
It can, yes. So generally what, what the, the general principle of the case stands for is the idea that you know, a state doesn't have to have a school choice program, but once they do, the state cannot exclude religious options from that school choice program. And this builds on a, a couple of other decisions in previous years and really closes the door on this kind of religious discrimination. It closes a, a pretty important loophole that the um, that states were using to continue to exclude religious schools. So when you look at this uh, this kind of the the temperament of the court right now, uh, this this I believe this ruling came down six to three, didn't it? It did, yes. So with that kind of a vote, I mean, we've got a majority, a clear majority uh, on this, and I'm betting that Roberts on this one voted uh, with uh, the outcome, with the majority on this one. Well, but the Chief uh, Justice was actually writing the opinion. Yeah, that's, that's really amazing, and I think a lot of people would have to gain at least a little bit of confidence or maybe encouragement from the fact that he did. But uh, with this kind of coming down, do you see any uh, kind of like a, a hallmark of uh, other maybe rulings that is coming in the fact that the Supreme Court voted in the, in the way that they did and they ruled in the way that they did on this one? Do you see it impacting maybe future things that are coming out? So that I really couldn't say just because it's so hard to predict. The, the reason for that is that the cases and the legal issues vary so widely between each, each particular case, even when they're all, for example, in the same subject matter, like religious liberty, the underlying legal issues can change in ways that may make a difference that, uh, for the chief justice or for other justices. So personally, I, I don't take any particular predictive value away mm-hmm. from this, but it is a very good opinion. It's a very good decision, and and we're very happy with that. So the people in May, obviously uh, in Maine, will obviously be benefited. But again, going back to other states, you said a while ago that it could have an effect. But if in a neighboring state, or even in a state like uh, Iowa or whatever, well removed from Maine, they could still benefit from this ruling as well. And if they were so wanting to lean in on this ruling, would they be able to, from your standpoint, do you think they could be then making a case of precedent with this one? Yes, I think that's fair to say. You know, almost all Supreme Court cases will make precedent in a way that the courts in other areas of the country will have to apply. And so that moves the ball down down the road. Oh, that's great. That's big news. Uh, also, tell us a little bit about what's on the docket for you at uh, at First Liberty and the others. What what uh, are you watching with great interest now? Now we know you're watching Dobbs without a without oh, a course. doubt. Yeah. So why don't you start with that one, if you will? Tell us what's happening with Dobbs. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, so First Liberty focuses exclusively on religious liberty issues. So we while we're interested in watching Dobbs, we have not been involved in mm-hmm. that case. Right. So you know, I can just give you a, a very small amount of information in that uh, I'm sure every, all your listeners, every, everyone has been aware that the case has the potential to overturn Roe versus Wade, and, and it deals with, I believe, a 15-week abortion restriction yes, in Mississippi. <clears throat> right. Um, and this 
draft opinion was leaked a um, couple of months ago now. So, you, you know, the final opinion is probably not going to look like that, that initial draft. Uh, but what that means and what that looks like are anybody's guess. Well, that's a very safe answer, and I I would expect that from an attorney. That's well said. Uh, I so appreciate, again, the, the fact that you guys are fighting, really fighting the good fight to maintain the, the Christian liberties that we have enjoyed in this nation. You know, we're approaching July the 4th, and it's ironic that this whole uh, case with Roe v. Wade uh, and the Dobbs case it's going to culminate maybe even a, a couple of days before the big anniversary of our independence. And so with that, what other cases are you guys looking at and uh, uh, fighting the fight for right now? Well, the most, uh, the, and the most important one for us is, is our, our Coach Kennedy case. So the Supreme Court heard arguments in that case back in April and we're expecting a decision could be tomorrow as far as, far as we know. So this is a, Coach Kennedy was a oh, uh, yeah. high school football coach mm-hmm. in Bremerton, Washington. He, you know, after every game, he would take a knee uh, on his own in the middle of, of the field and thank God for for the game and 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 for the opportunity to be there with with the students. And the the high school ultimately fired him for that practice. And we filed suit back in, in 2015 is when all of this started. And, and so we are looking forward to seeing what the Supreme Court does with this case. Give us just a little bit of the, um, I, I guess you could say the history from the moment that he was fired. Uh, obviously, it went through some steps before landing at the Supreme Court of the United States. So give us a little bit of the, the, the history on what has drawn it all the way to the high court? Well, you know, this is, you're very right that this case has been actually up to the Supreme Court and back down again because the Supreme Court wanted some additional factual information before it came back up. So that, that's why it's been up and, and down again. But basically what the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals held in its ruling was that because Coach Kennedy was visible because because students and parents and the public could see him praying that the school was justified in firing him. Now, we, we obviously disagree with that because anyone has the right to practice their faith in public. And, and that's the ultimate principle that we're working to vindicate. And, and I think that's why it caught the court's eye. But of course, I, I, I don't know for sure what caught the court's eye. Now, I know that when I've talked about this case in the, the past, uh, the students were following. There were a great deal of uh, students that went down, and uh, he wasn't uh, encouraging them to do this. They kind of did that on their own. They wanted to join their coach in that moment, and it was not uh, something of big fanfare, except it's like you said. It was visible. So people in the stands, well, yeah, they could see it. It's almost, isn't it almost like any visible demonstration of faith in the Lord is is so offensive to people in these days. It's just amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it really is amazing. And you know, you know, it's funny when the students came and asked on certain occasions whether they could join Coach Kennedy. 
you know, his response was, well, it's a free country. Do what you want. Yeah. So we think it's a free country, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> it, it, it's nuts that this happened. I mean, I'm saying that in in light of the fact that our founders, we, we you know, we go back, we hear this separation of church and state clause. It's thrown up in the face uh, as if the founders intended to separate the state from God. And, and that was never the intent. In fact, uh, that should be proven. It should be easily understood. All one needs to do is look at Washington, D.C., at what is carved on the walls in the Supreme Court, for crying out loud. Uh, there was a strong belief in the biblical God, and there was never a, a desire, uh, and this would be my opinion anyway, there was never a desire to separate us from God. It w- there was a desire to keep us from being a nation that forced its religion on p- its people and have a state church. I-, I think that's fair. Would you agree with that? You know, I think that's generally fair to say that that the whole point of the Establishment Clause is to keep the federal government from creating a national religion. Right. And you know, people throw the phrase separation of church and state around constantly, but those words are not actually in the Constitution. What the First Amendment does protect is the right of everyone to exercise their faith free of government penalty. And that's what this case, the main case decided, is that subjecting religious people to particular burdens that that other people don't have to bear by disqualifying them from a generally available program, that's a penalty on the free exercise of religion. Right. Now, the Supreme Court, in their rulings, are they bound to have an answer this term on Judge Kennedy? Is that something that we know will happen, or is it something that is hoped that it will happen before July 4th? I, I will say that it would be extremely unusual if the opinion were held over. Okay. And we know that to be the case also with the Dobbs case as well, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, that's my understanding. Are there any other large-scale uh, type of cases that uh, you're watching right now? Oh, there, there are plenty. Um, I believe there is a Second Amendment case pending as well, New York State Pistol and Rifle Association. So, uh, you know, I only have passing familiarity with that case, but my understanding is that it's challenging one of New York City's copious handgun ownership restrictions. So we'll see mm. what the Supreme Court does with that as well. Boy, I would love for them to rule on um, these and, and back up all uh, of our Constitution and its amendments, especially the First and Second Amendment. That would really be a great day if they land as they did on Tuesday with the main case. That's what we're praying for. Leah, it's always, again, good to talk to somebody from First Liberty. Thank you for fighting the fight and doing what uh, you do every day. Thank you also for taking the time to talk with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be with you. And if anyone wants to learn more information, they can go to our website, firstliberty.org. Firstliberty.org. Leah Patterson, attorney there with First Liberty, my guest in this segment. And we'll be right back. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. Back here now for our last segment today. On the line with me, an author, this uh, particular guest 
is published by Moody, and that is pretty exciting. Erica Wiggenhorn is on the line. She is the founder of Every Life Ministries. She reaches out to women in all sorts of ways in seminars. She's taught women at the Arizona State Prison as well as overseas. And it's really great to have her here, especially talking about her new book, An Unexpected Revival. Welcome to my program, Erica. Nice to have you. Mike, it's so nice to join you today. Well, you're in uh, sunny and much drier Arizona. Uh, Yeah, this is really neat to get to talk with you and to find out what your heart has been. First of all, tell us just a little bit about yourself, how it is that you came to know the Lord, and what got you started writing? Oh, I love this question. Uh, So I came to know the Lord later in life, Mike. And so I didn't grow up in church with all the nice Sunday school stories and uh, the flannel board pictures or the veggie tale videos. I didn't have any of that. And so when I first became a Christian, uh, I was handed a Bible with uh, all the little red letters of Jesus in it. And I was told that if I wanted to be a good Christian girl, I needed to have a quiet time. And uh, I know you don't know me. We're new friends, Mike. But if if you were to know me, you would know that there are two things that I don't really like a whole lot. And one is sitting still and (laughs) two is being quiet. So this was a, a little bit of a challenge for me. And without having any kind of church background or biblical background, um, You know, I opened up my Bible, and I tried to read these words of Jesus, and I had absolutely no idea what in the world he was talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a wheat tear, a plowshare, you know, I didn't know what anything was. And I became really frustrated. And I remember praying and saying to Jesus one day as I was trying to read my Bible, how am I supposed to follow you when I can't even understand? you. And so I went on a quest and I called up my pastor and I asked him for some commentaries he could recommend for me. And I just began to become transform into the ultimate Bible nerd and began studying scripture on my own using all of these resources that my pastor had recommended. And um, finally, over the course of quite some time, scripture became unlocked for me. But it was, it took a lot of time and investment on my part. And my heart really ached for the person out there that struggled to read the Bible the way that I did. And so I wanted to create resources where somebody can open up a confusing book of the Bible, something they don't understand, and just feel like they have a tool, a simple tool they can use to walk them through it, keep them on track daily in the in the Word of God. Um, no guilt, no shame, no frustration, just that that friend sitting across the table with you with a cup of coffee saying, let me be your guide. I know this is confusing. And that's really why and how I started writing the Bible studies that I've written for Moody is to just help those folks that say, man, I know I should read my Bible. I want to read my Bible, but it is so hard to stay consistent and to feel like I really understand it and know how to apply it. You know, I think you've just hit on something that would be just about everybody's Achilles heel uh, spot. A, you know, we have a weakness here, and I think most of us 
that weakness would be in the area of daily devotions and wanting to make sure that we give time. We we say we love the Lord often. We say we're dependent on him regularly, but it's so true, isn't it, that we live functionally in a way as if we don't really need him at all. I mean, that's really uh, everyone's battle that I know of is to stay consistent in the very thing that you're describing. So such a tool sounds like that would be really helpful. Well, I, I pray that it would. You know, this, this particular study, An Unexpected Revival, uh, that goes through the, the prophecies of Ezekiel, which can be a really wild book to read on your own, uh, I reached out to my online community that I send out a weekly devotional to, and I asked them, I said, you know, we're talking so much across churches, across denominations about revival. We're singing so many worship songs about it. How do you know, how would you define revival in your own life as a believer? What would, what would you want in your own relationship with God? And people came back with two predominant things. And one of them was, I want to learn how to pray. I want to learn how to pray regularly. I want to learn how to pray powerfully. I want to be able to pray the word of God, pray scriptures. Um, that was the number one answer that people came back with. Hmm. And so I ended up creating a free resource. I put it up on my website at ericawigginhorn.com, and it's just five revival prayers. And it's a simple tool that people can just download, and they can learn how to pray Scripture. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing that people said was, man, I want to know— I want to know how to be more sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't really know how to connect with the Holy Spirit. And man, do I get that, Mike, because growing up in the denomination I did, you know, we never talked about the Holy Spirit. And if we did, we called him the Holy Ghost. And so I was always like, you know, what is this Holy Spirit thing? Uh, so we ended up uh, in constructing an unexpected revival, we spent an entire week walking through who is the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus say about him? What did he, what did Jesus explain he was sending him for? What does it mean to walk in his power and be filled with the Holy Spirit? And uh, so those were the two things that people came back with. I want to learn how to pray. I need a better prayer life. And I don't really understand what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't feel joy. I don't feel peace. I'm struggling to be patient with the people I live with. I don't feel kind towards my co coworkers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how, you know, all those things. And so that's really the focus of this particular Bible study and unexpected revival is understanding how to live out those two things in our lives. We know we need to pray. I mean, Jesus told us we need to pray, but we sometimes, again, just don't pray enough. I very much believe in the power uh, that God has given us through the Holy Spirit today. I think it's critical. And, you know, one yeah. of the things when I first saw your book, uh, I'll be honest with you, the last thing in the world, if I would have only looked at the title, the last subject matter mm -hmm or course uh, curriculum that I would have guessed that you were going to be taking would have been Ezekiel. I would not have believed that. I mean, again, I grew up in a time where a revival was a meeting 
that a church called for maybe seven nights in a row, and and that was a revival. So that was my mind about what a revival is. Sure. And again, now we we find out, and I agree with you completely. A true revival is going to only come from God and the way God moves, and certainly He moves in the heart of His Word. And Ezekiel is one of those man. I think of Ezekiel. I think of the wheel in the middle of the wheel, and and this prophet guy that was uh, maybe a little bit uh, out there on the fringe at times. And he, he was an exciting individual. So this book has got to really uh, grab your, your interest right up front. Oh yes. Oh yes. And you know, his visions are just incredible. And um, the thing, honestly though, Mike, that I love the most about the prophecies of Ezekiel is probably more than any other book of the Bible, the words of God to his people and the word pictures that he paints through his prophet Ezekiel display God's love for his people in living color more vibrantly and more beautifully than any other book. I mean, there are some word pictures and stories that God tells on the pages of Ezekiel that the first time I sat down and read them, I honestly, my eyes just were filled with tears Mm. because we see God's heart and how deeply he longed to be among his people and in the presence of his people and to be loved by his people and to show his people how much he loves them. And it goes back to exactly what you were saying at the beginning, Mike, when you were talking about, man, in our fast-paced American self-sufficient culture, you know, we just get so busy doing our thing. Mm -hmm. We forget God is even there, right? Like, we're just doing our thing at work and driving around in the car and picking up the kids and, you know, making dinner and all the things. And we forget that God is right there and he longs to to speak with us and remind us how deeply we're loved by him and that he cares about all of the things that we are concerned about. And so it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's love for his people. It sounds like it. I know you cover so many wonderful themes from the book of Ezekiel, including, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, the faithfulness that God has for us when it's that faithfulness is sometimes surrounded with uncertainty. I mean, certainly those were difficult times that Ezekiel was speaking to, but we are living in uncertain times today. So there's a lot that people can learn and glean from Ezekiel's life as he found the faithful God that we can apply to in our lives. Absolutely. And that's why it's called an unexpected revival, honestly, because Ezekiel and his fellow captives at the time, you know, they had a very definite idea of how God would bring revival. And it would mean a change, you know, it would be political reform in Israel. It would be a return of them back to their city. It would be a complete societal upheaval, um, they had very definite ideas of how God had to do it. And they basically said to God, you know what, unless you change our circumstances, God, 
there's no way revival will happen. And so mm. that's why the tagline is experiencing God's goodness through disappointment and doubt, because God didn't change their circumstances exactly the way they wanted him to. In fact, God told them, you know what, that's what you have in mind will not happen. That was exactly what God said to his people. But in the process, God was actually bringing revival to his people and protecting them. And they couldn't see it in the immediate. But looking back over the history of Israel, they definitely could look back and say, oh, I get it now. I understand what God is doing. But that's so relatable. I mean, I have things in my life where I look around and I go, man, God, if you could just fix this circumstance, if you could change this mess and just come in and fix this, it would be a-okay with me. Yes, it would. God is saying, trust me, trust me, you can still experience my goodness, even through this disappointment and doubt. I am reviving you through it. I am doing a work in your life. And it it goes back to exactly what you just said, Mike, so beautifully, the faithfulness of our Father. He yes. is so faithful. Well, I'm going to have to have you back on. Uh, maybe in a couple of weeks we can get back together and do an entire program on this because there's a lot here. I, I love everything that I'm hearing and seeing. So can you uh, arrange that and get back with us? Right now, give us your website, how people can find out and, and where they can get the book. Yes. So if you'd like to download the free revival prayers that I talked about, you can go to my website. It's just my name, ericawiggenhorn.com, E-R-I-C-A-W-I-G-G-E-N-H-O-R-N, ericawiggenhorn.com. And you can pick up a copy of An Unexpected Revival through your favorite bookseller anywhere. I'd really I'd love for you to support your local Christian bookstore. If you have one in your community, please go buy it there um, and support those good folks that are doing ministry through a local Christian bookstore. But you can pick it up through any bookseller anywhere online as well. That's one of the advantages of having such a great publisher. (laughs) You can get the book just about anywhere. That's wonderful. An eight-week Bible study called An Unexpected Revival Experiencing God's Goodness Through Disappointment and Doubt. Erica Wiggenhorn, the author, thank you for being with me here today. And again, let's touch base. Let's get you back on the program. I would love it, Mike. Sounds great. All right. God bless you, Erica. And friends, thank you for being with us today right here on Afternoons with Mike. 